shockingly, shockingly, the Keystone Pipeline spill was 10 times bigger than reported. And this isn't a surprise. Almost every one of these oil pipelines that spill, you get the same public relations spin at first where, oh yeah, no, it didn't didn't go in any water bodies, didn't really affect anything. Uh, luckily, it was just a small spill over, you know, we're dealing with it and everybody could go back to their lives while we continue destroying the planet only two to three weeks after every spill. Um, it comes out that, you know, it was much, much bigger than previously reported. And the Keystone spill, for those of you watching at home, uh, has affected nearly 10 times more land in eastern North Dakota than first thought. Carl Rockman, North Dakota's Division of Water Quality Director, said the leak is estimated to have impacted 4.8 acres or almost 219,000 square feet of land. The AP earlier estimates pegged the extent of affected land at 22,500. I would say 209,000 is a little bit bigger than 22,000. And by the way, for those of you saying, well, Jordan, you know, it takes time to figure out how long. Yes, I mean, how widespread the spill was. It doesn't take three weeks, okay? Most of these um, state-level regulators and emergency responders know how big it is early on. The problem is, they are all, the regulators are bought off by the fossil fuel companies, so they try to minimize how bad and how widespread the spill is, just like as status quo has broken uh, with, you know, environmental departments that test your water for lead and copper are gaming the system to produce lowered lead levels. And then voila, you find out, oh, they threw out some high tests. Oh, they, you know, they uh, flushed before taking the test, flushed the water before. So it's the same thing with these state uh, oil um, and pipeline regulators, they deliberately, time after time, this isn't the first time, re, uh, report initially, oh, it's it's small, only like a couple, like 10, 15,000 gallons are spilled. And then like a few weeks later, they're forced because it's so obvious and the damage is, you know, landowners are complaining, residents are complaining. They have to say, oh, it affected 10 times more land in the case of Keystone pipeline spill. Um Rockman uh, said earlier estimates were based on visual information and further inspection has produced a more accurate understanding. Sure. TC Energy, they renamed themselves. It's actually TransCanada, who's the original um, owner of Keystone Pipeline. They renamed themselves TC Energy so that people would kind of lose sight of who they were. They said the volume of oil release has not changed as the company abstained a more accurate assessment. Of course, no change at all. Uh, the cause of this spill, which began October 29th and sent about 383,000 gallons of oil into the land, is still unknown. Just, it's unknown. It's unknown why oil pipelines spill. Maybe because they're all built in haste. Maybe because humans are imperfect and building these pipelines, uh, you know, you have a large volume of oil trafficking through. You have uh, weather conditions could damage pipelines. You have uh, the earth moving can damage pipelines. You have extreme weather that could damage pipelines. Why do these pipelines leak? We don't know. And by the way, this 383 gallons that spilled, this is in the Keystone pipeline, okay? Not the proposed, which they're already starting, which they're already starting construction of. Not the Keystone XL pipeline. So, 
we already have the original Keystone spilled 383,000 gallons. They're intentionally diminishing the spill right out of the gate. But construction of the actual, of the Keystone XL, which is the extension, goes on. Meanwhile, the biggest thing covered in the news is Ukraine. And I don't want to pretend that the, uh, the hearings that are on all day aren't important. Trump obviously lied. Trump obviously bribed. But can we cover more than one thing at once? Oh, no, we can't cover it because CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, uh, The Washington Post, all of these outlets, either directly, CNN, MSNBC, have commercials from fossil fuel companies, I saw a commercial on CNN from the uh, energy company that owns the Dakota Access Pipeline. was one hell of a propaganda uh, commercial, if I've ever seen. Or indirectly, you know, the New York Times, their largest investor is Carlos Slim from Mexico. You know who Carlos Slim is? In addition to a telecom giant, owns a lot of natural gas in Mexico. We can't, we can't really pay attention to the destruction of planet Earth, to the destruction of the water, 383,000 gallons falling out, the destruction of land, the air, with oil going out into the air. It's disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And it's, you know, it's unbelievable to me, and, you know, whatever, this is from the Hill, we just take the oil companies... Word for it. Last week, TC Energy announced the pipeline returned to service after the U.S. Pipeline and Hazardous Material Safety Administration approved the repair and restart plan. As part of the cleanup, TC Energy is moving contaminated soil that reached up to six feet deep to a landfill in Sawyer. Oh, great. We're going to move the contaminated soil to a landfill in Sawyer. So you're basically, and they do this with all sorts of things, including uranium and uh, and nuclear waste, you're going to move it to a community. That has to breathe that in, that landfill, which, as I reported when I was at the Young Turks, there's landfills all over the country that are not properly sealed. In the St. Louis area, in Massachusetts, I reported on. So the environmental destruction and essentially the U.S. government, and it's it's not just Trump. This was before Trump. They basically just rubber stamped this stuff. It's appalling. Appalling. Elizabeth Warren, she just wants to be, you know, the crusader against corruption. But what she's really doing, as I've reported, status quo has reported for months, is she's basically delegating the corruption to her assistants and her staff and her top-level finance people. You do the dirty work of dealing with the donors so I could say I'm clean, but make sure we get their money. This is basically what Elizabeth Warren is doing. Uh, I hate to give credit to Politico, but where it is warranted, I will. Uh, Inside Warren's secret big donor fan club. Uh, Elizabeth Warren prohibits special access for big donors, but her campaign treasurer, who, by the way, her campaign treasurer was once called the, a um, what was he called? A walking Pac-Man. A walking Pac-Man because of his uh, fundraising prowess for super PACs. Her campaign treasurer and another close ally are organizing wealthy supporters for Warren behind the scenes while she rips on the rich. The pair, Paul Eagerman, who's wealthy, 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 and activist Shanti Fry, have maintained 
campaign have maintained campaign titles as Warren's finance co-chairs, even as her campaign sheared other links to Democratic donor class earlier this year, foreshadowing closed-door in-person fundraising events of the sort Warren did for years in the Senate. Fryan Eagerman, a longtime friend of Warren's who helped build support for her first run for office, are courting big donors in the Northeast by organizing trips, hosting events, and acting as conduits for information about the campaign. Eagerman and Fry recently planned excursions, oh boy, to Warren's 20,000-person rally in New York City and to the Iowa Democratic Party's Liberty and Justice celebration in the first caucus state. According to people familiar with the trips, Fry solicits donations from supporters as well, one Boston friend said. Their presence on Warren's unorthodox campaign shows how the Massachusetts senator, whose campaign is funded primarily by small-dollar online donors and who rails against the corrosive influence of political donors and Wall Street billionaires, even selling a campaign mug labeled Billionaire Tears, is not completely blowing up her ties to the Democratic establishment. Well, that's one way of writing it, Politico. Uh... And the wealthy supporters Egerman and Fry are organizing today may have another act to play in Warren's campaign. If she became the nominee, those donors may help finance the National Democratic Party, which can collect six-figure sums, and which Warren has said she would raise money for, if chosen as the nominee, or help super PACs that would support Warren against President Trump. And their efforts highlight how some wealthy donors, especially progressives in her Boston base, have continued to embrace Warren, undaunted by the calls for a wealth tax and Medicare for all that have recently prompted furious criticisms. Uh, I'm going to skip down and get to what I think is the most important point. Warren's campaign declined to answer questions from Politico about whether the campaign has paid for any travel for Egerman or Fry or for the donors on trips that the finance co-chairs have organized to early voting states and other Warren events. Well, silence is often the answer, folks. Silence is often the answer. So I don't even know where to begin. Let's begin with what we already knew. Uh, Obviously, the New York Times uh, several weeks ago. uh, When was this from? Oh, this was from uh, August, actually. Uh, They reported that Elizabeth Warren herself was going around the country and having hot tea with a who's who of the Democratic Party establishment uh, to basically curry favor. I think possibly because she might think and her her team might think we might be looking at a potential uh, brokered convention and it might go to the second ballot where superdelegates vote. So Warren's team has been trying to court those bigwigs of the Democratic Party establishment uh, telling, uh, and as as they said in this article, she is in phone calls, text messages, and small gatherings before her rallies, as well as in one-on meetings, one-on-one meetings over hot tea at her Washington condominium, Ms. Warren is simultaneously courting and assuring Democratic town leaders, statewide officials, and the chiefs of the country's largest unions. So, Elizabeth Warren essentially from the reporting in Politico, the New York Times, and now we see her moonwalking on Medicare for All. Let's be very clear. This transition that she came out with, which uh, I reported on uh, last week, it's not a transition. It's a moonwalk. It's an about face. It is, I'm going to first enact a public option within 100 days, which 
she makes seem like that's just some easy thing to do, uh, that the public option is so easy. Yeah, snap my fingers. We're going to have a public option in 100 days, I believe she said. She's going to use some jujitsu of executive action and other things. And then as we transition uh, and people get the benefits of the public option, then we're going to make the case for Medicare for All in my third year after a potential Democratic Party loss in the midterms in 2022 and a year before she would be up for re-election. That's when she's going to fight for Medicare for All. Do Are we cynical YouTubers here supposed to believe that as Warren goes around with her big structural change, as Warren goes around talking about billionaire tears, but delegates her top finance people in her campaign to, they didn't deny it, so we have to assume, according to the political report, that they are paying for top wealthy donors to fly into certain events. Are we to assume that her softening, shall we say, uh, in terms of positioning on Medicare for All in particular, has no relation to her, well, not her, but her donor, her top campaign staff, currying favor and basically behind the scenes kissing the ring of top Democratic Party donors. And for the devil's advocates out there that say, well, Jordan, Bernie Sanders didn't do this in 2016 and he lost. He didn't curry favor with the with the Democratic Party. He didn't sit and have hot tea with the Democratic Party's who's who. He didn't work hard enough to try and get Democratic Party establishment uh, to you know sign on as superdelegates to him. He didn't play the game and he lost. Well, to that, we say Bernie Sanders was enormously outspent by Hillary Clinton. Bernie Sanders had a skeleton crew as his staff for the most part. His staff this time around is much more expansive and much more staffed up than in 2016. And Bernie Sanders spent more time doing rallies, grassroots support, small dollar fundraisers. And he won 22 states. And he created a, a, created a political revolution that many would argue established, uh, established the conditions for someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to run and win, and other progressives to run and compete. And he was cheated. Elizabeth Warren is basically trying a magic trick. I'm pure. I don't waste time placating and kissing the ring of Democratic Party donors. I don't do big, lavish fundraisers, although she did during the 2018, her 2018 Senate re-election, and then she transferred those funds over into her presidential campaign. Elizabeth Warren says that, and it's true. It's just that basically she's just outsourcing it to her campaign staff to do it. And this is problematic. This is problematic for obvious reasons. First off, she's been on every single side of the fence when it comes to will she take big money in the general election? First it was, I'm not going to unilaterally disarm. Then she said, I'm not going to take their money. Then she said, well, I'm not going to personally take their money, but I will fundraise with those same people for the DNC during the general election. And wait, who's the DNC going to be spending money for in the, in the general election if Warren was the candidate? She's basically trying a lot of jujitsu, magic tricks, 
But the bottom line is you are who you surround yourself with. And if your campaign and your campaign run by a very, very wealthy man, Paul Eagerman, on the finance side, is flying in wealthy people, she ain't flying in me. She ain't flying in you. She's flying in wealthy folk to watch her on stage say she's taking on those wealthy folk. And I want to be clear. Not all wealthy people are terrible. There are wealthy, capital P, progressives out there. But from the reporting, uh, she's not going around trying to get Ben and Jerry's money, who are obviously Bernie supporters. She's trying to get money from the billionaire class. And that is troublesome. Because if she's doing this, all these tricks now, what is she going to do if she's elected president? Is she going to go around saying, I don't take the big money, but have her chief of staff do it? Is she going to say, I don't, I don't do lavish fundraisers, but have her treasury secretary do it or her vice, vice president do it? The only thing that happens, look at the cause and effect. Politico is reporting her top donors, her, her top campaign people are basically flying in wealthy people to events and playing liaison to these big wealthy people. And as that happens, she suddenly, it was I'm with Bernie. Now it's I'm, uh, we have a transition for Medicare for all. I'm going to give you a public option within the first hundred days. Triangulate and then some. And you know what? I heard somebody, maybe it was The Hill, uh, Crystal and uh, Sodger, I, I always mispronounce it. I think it's Sodger's show that said this, and I thought it was a great way of saying it. Thank you for the super chat. She clearly, her heart is clearly not into Medicare for all. Her heart is clearly, she might think, you know, long-term universal health care is a good thing, but it's not, um, it's not what she wants. It, it's not her core issue. This New York Times story is exactly why Joe Biden is leading, because the media has propagated this fact-free, easily disproven myth that Joe Biden is some average Joe, that Joe Biden is a friend of the working class of America, that Joe Biden is, you know, understands your meat and potato issues. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but they are white and non-white alike prefer Facebook over Twitter if they are on social media at all and can be hard to find at Democratic campaign events dominated by activists from the professional class. But these blue-collar voters could go a long way to determining who captures the Democratic presidential nomination, and Biden is, race, Biden is racing to press his advantage with that constituency. When less than three months to go before voting begins in the 2020 primary and on the eve of the fifth presidential primary debate, Mr. Biden faces significant challenges in the key early states of Iowa and New Hampshire, a cash crunch, and several Democrats threatening his standing with centrist voters. But his greatest compensating advantage right now is notably durable support from a multiracial coalition of working class voters who feel a kinship with a former vice president and believe he is the Democrats' strongest general election prospect. At fundraisers and on campaign steps, Mr. Biden is warning his party against overlooking voters who were once a core Democratic constituency but had found some elements of Trump's message compelling in 2016. His campaign believes the Democratic Party risked narrowing its electoral college path in 2020 and hurting its standing on Capitol Hill. I don't even know where to start.
First of all, they keep lying and they keep putting out these fact-free nonsense that these voters in the Midwest are moderate. If these voters in the Midwest were moderates, President Hillary Clinton would be a thing today. Hillary Clinton was offering these voters exactly what Biden is offering. Donald Trump was running, and and I say this over and over because I covered, I covered his campaign. Donald Trump was proposing really, really progressive-sounding legislation. Donald Trump was proposing ending the wars. Donald Trump was proposing taking it to Goldman Sachs. Donald Trump was proposing I'm a Republican. Uh, this isn't a Republican thing to suit. A Republican thing to say, but we, we got to do universal health care. Everybody got to get covered. Everybody. So the truth is, these voters in the Midwest did not vote for Donald Trump because he was a more moderate choice than Hillary Clinton. They voted because. They're done with moderates who are basically governing like Republicans. But Biden and the media keep perpetuating, you need a moderate. You need a moderate to win in the Midwest. That is proven by the results. That is proven by the election results. Another thing that is mind-numbing, mind-numbing. Joe Biden, it shows you how much the media misinforms people. It shows you how bad the information out there is. Why, as independent media grows... Corporate censors are trying to, to shut down independent media because they want to keep the masses dumb. Joe Biden is the exact opposite of a working class hero. Joe Biden, along with the corporate establishment of the Democratic Party since the 1980s, has been attacking the working class. Joe Biden and his cohorts are one of the reasons we barely have a middle class. Joe Biden has signed on to offshoring jobs to China and Mexico. Joe Biden has signed on to demolishing these same Midwest states that the New York Times is telling us and the polls are showing. Support him. You remember Thomas Frank wrote What's the Matter with Kansas many years ago, talking about Republican voters voting against their own interests? These same voters, these working class voters, according to the polls, a lot of them making less than $50,000 a year, a lot of them, a lot of them, Um, also with only high school degrees. They are voting against their own interests, but they don't realize, because the media doesn't report it, that Joe Biden voted for NAFTA. 
Joe Biden, as of 2016, was pushing TPP. Joe Biden was one of the biggest reasons for the Patriot Act, which was just rammed through again the other day, an extension of the Patriot Act. Joe Biden, Iraq War, was the foreign foreign committee's chair during that time and helped push the Iraq War. He didn't just vote for it. He helped push it. Joe Biden pushed, pushed the bankruptcy bill for credit card companies. Joe Biden was behind the repeal of Glass-Steagall. But none of these reporters writing this are asking voters in the Midwest, what do you think of Joe Biden and his record that is very opposite of working class hero? Because I promise you, because I've experienced this on the road over and over again, you would, by asking these voters, what do you think of that? Most of them would be, well, I didn't know that. Well, I didn't know that he voted for NAFTA. Oh, he, he, he was a proponent of the, of the TPP? Oh, wait. He, he pushed the Iraq War? Oh, wait. He was for the bankruptcy bill? Oh, wait. Patriot Act? Glass-Steagall? Deregulating derivatives? I mean, I could go on. The voter ignorance, the voter misinformation is astounding. The reason also that I think you continue to have the DNC allowing 10 candidates on the stage is because they want Joe Biden to have as little time as possible to talk. They want Joe Biden to have as little time as possible to be attacked. They want Joe Biden, excuse me, they want Bernie Sanders to have as little time as possible to go after Joe Biden. We saw in the last debate, Bernie Sanders finally went against Biden on TPP. Let's hope he goes after him on bankruptcy bill and other things this time. Joe Biden is not a working class hero. And the reason it is so dangerous for him to be propped up as such Donald Trump, if he's not impeached, well, he's probably going to be impeached before then, but if he's not removed by the Senate, which I don't think is going to happen, judging by the Republicans during these hearings, basically bending over backwards and twisting themselves into embarrassing pretzels for Trump, Trump is going to annihilate Biden on all of the things I'm mentioning because Trump still is convincing these voters, particularly when you look at the 10% of Obama voters that switched to Trump. Trump somehow through his marketing and, and basically sales brilliance, got to give it to the man, is able to present himself as training the swamp, able to present himself as, you know, protecting the the worker bees of bringing back jobs. And he is going to go after Joe Biden with everything he's got on TPP on NAFTA, on the bankruptcy bill, on all these things, on the fact that he's going around the country having caviar and champagne all over the country. Big dollar funders. Joe Biden is not a contrast to Donald Trump. Joe Biden is a less racist, less hyperbolic, 
less Islamophobic, less evil spinoff. He's the country club version of Donald Trump. There's not so much that separates Joe Biden with someone like Paul Ryan. I found something the New York Times editor said laughable. The New York Times editor uh, spoke with The Guardian. You know, he said the usual Donald Trump has put his reporters' lives at risk, which is absolutely true, 100%. I agree with him on that. But he said something interesting that I'd like to get your opinion on. Apparently, the New York Times editor, Dean Beckett, said he warned junior staff and readers against pushing to embrace left-wing Democratic candidates such as Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, saying the outlet would lose its status if it openly sided with particular politicians. Quote, they probably want a more political New York Times than I'm willing to give them. I hope they will learn over time that a New York Times that plays it straight has much more power and more longevity. Plays it straight. The New York Times editor says, I tell our younger writers who are probably more progressive, probably have higher student debt, probably actually have a little bit more connection. Andy P, text text notifications are working yet. We're not sending it out for every live stream. Uh, We're we're trying it for certain. We're trying it for certain. But the New York Times, they're playing it straight with stories like, Mayor and foreign minister, how Bernie Sanders brought the Cold War to Burlington. Remember this one? He brought the Cold War to Burlington. That's going to scare your older readers. Bernie Sanders, I did my best to stop American forest policy. Bernie Sanders on the 1980s. You remember this gem where the writer could not, the reporter could not, fo- could not focus, could not stop. Asking him, wait, Bernie, did you hear when you went to a rally in Nicaragua? Did you hear chants of anti-American sentiment? And if you heard it, what did you do to stop it? They, the New York Times has been nothing but destructive. The New York Times has been nothing but biased. The amount of puff pieces they've done on Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, The coverage has been slightly, slightly better, uh, more critical as of of late on Elizabeth Warren. Took a while. Certainly took a while. I just find it funny because as we talk about the corporate suppression that goes on, particularly on places like YouTube, as we talk about, you know, Google and and what they do in terms of deranking alternative sites, um, sites, you openly have the editor of the New York Times who is either incredibly unself-aware or just lying when he says, oh, we got to keep it straight. He knows they're not straight. He knows they prop up. He knows they prop up. The CIA, um, uh, Joe Biden have been propping up Warren, propping up Pete Buttigieg. He knows. You think those stories trying to paint Bernie Sanders as like being a Russian, you know, a Cold War Soviet. 
You think those stories that try to paint Bernie Sanders as being anti-American or reveling at, at foreign events when there are anti-American cheers, you think those don't get run through the editor-in-chief? Come on. 